Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 172 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the wonderful people at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield here in the big chair for today, Thursday, February 4th, 2021, Super Bowl 55, just a couple of days away. And since it's happening, I guess we're going to talk about it. We're going to have my thoughts on when the Chiefs have the ball, my thoughts on when the Buccaneers have the football. And in the third part of the show, my predictions for the big game. Before we do that, before we dive into any of that, your usual reminders, please do follow along with the work. You can find me on the Bird app at Mark Schofield. Check out the work. Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, Pat's Pulpit. And of course, USA Today, Touchdown Wire, part of the Wire Network, covering the NFL with Doug Farrar. And Doug and I have done, if I may say so myself, a tremendous job already diving into film, giving you every sort of angle we can come up with on Super Bowl 55. You can read the work over there at touchdownwire.usatoday.com. And I'm obviously pulling a lot of what I'm going to talk about today from the work that we've done this week. So check that out. Also, I do want to again promote the Slack channel. Why? Because it was brought to my attention over at the Scotia Slack channel that a lot of the people that are members there have taken to Zoom to do video scouting of players together. I guess there was like a, a nine-hour offensive line scouting session like last Saturday. And if that sounds like something you might want to be a part of, then you might want to be a part of the Scotiabank Slack channel. So hit me up for an invite at Mark Schofield on Twitter or mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com. Um, I understand that those are going to be rolling throughout draft season, and you might get a special guest or two. Who knows? We'll see where it takes us. Uh, let's dive into Super Bowl 55. And I want to start when the Kansas City Chiefs have the football. Um, because what fascinates me about this game, one of the many storylines, is the task that is in front of Todd Bowles this week, stopping Patrick Mahomes and this Kansas City Chiefs offense. And I've written countless articles at this point on how teams try to do that, mostly through a Patriots lens, right? You think of the AFC Championship game, you think of the other times those teams squared off, the different ways that Bill Belichick approached solving the puzzle that is the Chiefs' offense. We saw many times using multiple defenders on Travis Kelsey. I'm often reminded of the 2018 meeting in the regular season, um, the game that the Patriots won, in the final seconds on a Steven Kostowski field goal, but they dedicated resources to Travis Kelsey, right? If you remember that game, you remember the play before halftime, the interception by Deron Harmon. That play was a red zone play. Dante Hightower flexes outside just to chip Travis Kelsey, and then they use an inside-outside bracket on him with Patrick Chun and Deron Harmon. And then Hightower ends up flushing Mahomes. Mahomes forces a throw. But that was kind of how they did it. And it took away Kelsey on that play. But later in the game, in that explosive fourth quarter, when the teams were just trading blows, the huge touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill. Again, they had a linebacker underneath and a bracket on Kelsey. And then you've got poor Deron Harmon in the middle of the field as the post-safety player with Tyreek Hill screaming at him on an overroute. And that ended as you might expect. And so trying to solve the riddle of the Kansas City Chiefs offense is tough because you can do it incredibly well for 55 minutes and then they'll hand 28 on you in the final five minutes of the game. 
what many teams have tried to do, and this is something I've written about a lot, this is something the Patriots have tried and other teams have tried this year, is to just basically use a variation of Bill Belichick's Super Bowl 25 game plan, right? Let them run the football. Dare them to run the football. Show them light boxes. Show them sub packages. 3-2-6, You know, just come up with numbers. 3-1-7, whatever. Show them a light box and say, look, Patrick Mahomes, we're daring you to turn around and hand off. Because every play that Patrick Mahomes hands off, he's not dropping back to throw to Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey or Michael Harbin or Pringle or any other of the incredible weapons that they have in the passing game. And in looking at how teams tried to play the Chiefs this year defensively, a lot of teams tried that strategy. The Miami Dolphins tried it. The Denver Broncos tried it. The Patriots tried it at times. And many times the Chiefs were willing to play along. They were willing to take that bait, right? I think the most extreme example, the Buffalo Bills back in week six. They played a lot of 4-2-5, but they were really soft in the secondary. The safeties were 15 yards, 18 yards deep. Corners were off. They played a lot of soft cover four. And they basically said, well, we're going to prevent against the big play keep everything in front of us. If you want to run the ball, fine. Well, they did. Clyde Edwards-Alaire had his best game of the year, at least in terms of yardage output. Ran for, I think, 161 yards or something like that. So in many instances, the Chiefs were willing to play along. Look, if you're going to let us get eight yards a pop on an inside zone play or a split zone design, we'll take it. What was interesting was one game this season the Chiefs didn't play along. They didn't take that bait. And that was week 12 against the Buccaneers. They would use some sub-packages, some 3-3-5 stuff, some lighter boxes. They'd still throw. They ran the ball 17 times in that game, just 17 times. Mahomes threw at 49. And even in the second half, when they were trying to salt away that big lead that they had built, they didn't really run the ball any more than they had in the first half. And part of the reason was, the Buccaneers are a very good run defense. That game, they were without Vita Bay. They have one of the best run defenses in the league. And I got some film clips from that game against the Chiefs that show you how they can set an edge and Dominican Sue on the inside. The Chiefs didn't take the bait in that game. And I wonder, in a sense, if that doesn't just play into what the Chiefs want to do. You know, if you're matching up against the Kansas City Chiefs and the best you know, the strength of your defense is the run game, I'm not sure that helps you. And so as I wrote over at USA Today this week, I don't know if Kansas City's run game matters in this game. I think this game, at least when the Kansas City Chiefs have the football, fully hinges on their secondary. Can they match up somehow? And a player that I think might play a critical role in that is cornerback Sean Murphy Bunton. And, you know, Doug Farrar wrote early in the week about him. I'm writing about him right now as part of the potential secret superstars of Super Bowl 55. And what's been interesting in watching Tampa Bay's defense this year, there have been times when they used Murphy Bunton on, say, athletic or more athletic tight ends. There were times when they had him matched up in man coverage on, say, Darren Waller. Uh, there was a play in that Raiders-Buccaneers game where he was matched up in man coverage on Waller. You know, got a good jam on him. 
Waller got some separation on a slant route to the inside, but Bunton was in pretty good position and made an immediate tackle. If you can find a way to have one player on one of just one of their options, whether it's Hill or Kelsey, hopefully it's one of those two, that gives you a chance to get everything else covered up. Because think about it, if you can get one guy to defend Travis Kelsey, now you can have a corner with dedicated safety help over Hill, you play one-on-one on the rest of the guys, that gives you a shot. You know, if you want to go two-man, you've got somebody on Sean Murphy Bunton, you've got a safety dedicated over Hill, now you've got other safety help over the rest, it might be a way to do it. But you need to get Kelsey locked down in a one-on-one situation. And Levante David, Devin White, they're tremendous athletes. They're great defensive players. Perhaps the best linebacker tandem in this game. I'm not so sure about one of those guys in a man coverage situation. Sean Murphy Bunton might be the guy to do it. And back in Week 12, there were moments when, even when Tampa Bay was in, say, cover four, because Kansas City does so much from that Y-ISO formation where Kelsey's the only guy on one side of the field, it basically ended up being Murphy Bunton on Kelsey in man-to-man coverage situations. There was one route, and it's in the piece that I'm writing, where Kelsey runs a curl route, and Murphy Bunton runs the route for him. He's with him step for step. Mahomes ends up getting flushed and sacked. And then there was a third and eight where Kelsey runs an in-cut, and Murphy Bunton is again with him step for step. Mahomes just puts the ball in a great spot. Kelsey has just enough separation to make the catch. It goes for a nine-yard gain, but what is kind of important here, even though it moves the chains, the pass was thrown to a depth of nine yards. Kelsey caught it nine yards downfield, and it was a nine-yard gain, meaning there was no yardage after the catch. That's also a critical component of playing Travis Kelsey because he's so deadly after the catch. He's tremendous with the ball in his hands. And so those two plays give me at least an idea that Sean Murphy Bunton might be the guy to perhaps lock down Kelsey, which gives you the chance, if you're Todd Bowles, to play some numbers everywhere else, get some help over Hill, and give yourself a shot. Because I don't think that they're going to take the bait. You go light box, 3-2-6, you know, they're not going to run it. Maybe they do, but I doubt it. And so that's what I'm watching for when the Kansas City Chiefs have the football, right? Do they take the bait? Do they run the ball? I don't think so. They're going to throw it. I want to see who's covering Travis Kelsey. If it's Sean Murphy Bunton, I'm going to be very curious to see if that works. And if it does, that gives you a shot. So that's what I'm watching for when the Chiefs have the ball. Up next, what I'm watching for when the Buccaneers have the football. That's ahead here in episode 172, a Super Bowl preview installment of the Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now in episode 172 of the Sco Show, doing a little Super Bowl 55 preview. But fear not, we will be back full-on draft coverage next week. We'll have another mock draft Monday after the Super Bowl with a Super Bowl recap, of course. Um, Just so you know, that show might come out late in the day Monday. I have a feeling that Sunday night's going to be a bit busy. Just tempering expectations. That's what we do here. Um, Let's talk about when Tom Brady has the football, right? And as Patriots fans, who I'm sure... The good lot of you who are listening to the show are. This is a bittersweet Super Bowl in a sense because Tom Brady's in his 10th Super Bowl, but his first in a different uniform. And it's a bit tough to see. And, you know, I'll talk about it a bit more in the predictions, but, you know, that's certainly 
my heart has me leaning one way. I'd like to see Tom Brady win this game. Um, the head might have a different thought on that. But when Tom Brady's offense has the football, here's the things that I'm looking for. One, we know the book on Tom Brady, right? It's the so-called blueprint, whatever you want to call it. It's you get interior pressure on him. The challenge from Kansas City's perspective is how do you do that? Because, look, Ali Marpet, Ryan Jensen, they're, they're two very good centers. They lost, I mean, they're two very good interior offensive linemen. Marpet at guard, Jensen at center. Now, they did lose Alex Capito with fractured ankle, but Stinney has stepped in in the rest of the playoffs and performed fairly well. But if you can get that sort of interior pressure, that gives you a good shot at sort of frustrating Tom Brady, slowing Tom Brady down. And, of course, one of the major architects of that sort of idea is Steve Spagnuolo, obviously of Super Bowl forty-two fame, uh, with that NASCAR package that the Giants used to frustrate Tom Brady, yada, yada, yada. Now, what's interesting about that is obviously – you know, Steve Spagnuolo is now with the Kansas City Chiefs, and he knows how to do that, and he's done it before. Um, but you might not have the same success because of the abilities of these guys on the inside. So is there a plan B to stop in Tom Brady this year, to stop in Tom Brady at this point in his career? And I went back throughout this week and looked at every interception that Tom Brady threw this year. And while some of them were in the middle of the field, they had a couple against the Rams that were bad throws in the middle of the field, one of which was influenced by interior pressure. A lot of them came to the boundary, the pick six in week one, the pick six against the Chargers, obviously one of the three interceptions, the first one against the Packers in the NFC Championship game. Those were throws outside the numbers towards the boundaries, right? And that got me thinking. And so I did something the Patriots fans probably would rather, let's put it this way. Patriots fans would rather probably have somebody take a hammer to their toes one by one, then rewatch the 2010-2011 season divisional round game against the Jets, the one that they lost, the Wes Welker benched for the start of the game, that game. But I went back and watched that because there might be a plan B that Spagnuolo could have in the back of his mind, and that's what Rex Ryan used to do to Tom Brady, right? You remember what Ryan used to do? He would clog the middle of the field. He'd drop defensive linemen, defensive ends, have them clog underneath throwing lanes, force Brady to throw the football to the boundary, right? Where he doesn't want to throw, but he'll throw if he has to. And you saw some plays in that game where Brady's initial read in the middle of the field is taken away by either a linebacker or a safety dropping down or a defensive lineman or a defensive end dropping off. And now he has to look to the outside. And he completed some throws and he made some throws to the boundaries, but... That was 2010 Tom Brady, not 2021 Tom Brady. And if you're Steve Spagnuolo, you want Tom Brady thrown to the boundaries right now. You don't want him throwing up the seams. You don't want him throwing in the middle of the field. You want him throwing outside the numbers. So I think you might see a lot of, say, Tyron Matthew dropping down underneath as a robber. You might see a lot of guys dropping off the line. Not probably Chris Jones, but you might see some guys that usually rush the passer take a step upfield, sell pressure, and then drop, whether it's like a Frank Clark or, uh, you know, Mike Dana, Anthony Hitchens, Damian Wilson, some guys that you usually see rushing the pass or dropping off and getting underneath lines. 
In that Jets-Patriots game, I saw Jason Taylor used more as an underneath defender to take away routes than anything else. There was a third and long situation in the second half of that game where Calvin Pace, another defensive end, treated Wes Welker the way I talked about Dante Hightower treating Travis Kelsey earlier in the show, where he flexed out wide, made sure to chip Welker before he got off the line of scrimmage, and then came after Brady. They did a lot of stuff underneath with rerouting those crossing routes. If Welker was coming across your face, light him up. David Harris, who had an interception earlier in that game, he was hitting Welker every time he crossed over the middle. And a lot of people might say, well, that was the Patriots' offense. That's not the Chiefs' offense. Since their bye week, they've gotten a bit more horizontal in the passing game. They've been running mesh. They've been running crossers. They've been doing that stuff that we often associate with the Patriots' version of Tom Brady, not the Buccaneers and Bruce Arians and Brian Leftwich's version of Tom Brady. And so I'm curious to see if that's sort of Steve Bagnolo's plan B, right? Plan A is probably line Chris Jones up over Stinney and hope Chris Jones can get pressure. Plan B might say, okay, well, if we can't do that, force Brady to make every throw to the boundaries. Because if Tom Brady can throw you know, up the seams, if he can throw like slot verticals and things like that, which he's still very good at, he can have some success against you. If he's comfortable back there, he can have some success against you. If he can take those crossers on mesh and shallow cross and drive, he can have success against you. But I'm very curious to see if they don't try some of what Rex Ryan did to Brady in years past. Another thing I'm watching for, you know, I said in the first half of the show, the Chiefs' run game might not matter. The Buccaneers' run game might matter and might matter a lot. Why? Not to keep Mahomes on the sideline because I think that's a fallacy. But as Doug Farrar wrote this week, you know, back in that Week 12 meeting, for example, Ronald Jones, I think, had 66 rushes, I mean 66 yards on nine rushing attempts. The Chiefs play a lot of dimes. Third most in the league in terms of snaps. Third most in the league in terms of snaps against the run. Only the Packers and the Panthers played more snaps in dime. Only the Pack. I mean, only the Patriots and the Panthers saw more run plays when they were in dime. So third most in the league in both those categories. But there might be some opportunities for guys like Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette to have big gains against that sub package. Because if you can get them to play more nickel, even more base, now you're talking about getting Gronk, getting Cameron Brait matched up against linebackers, not safeties. And so I'm very curious to see if Arians and Leftwich come out and say, we're going to try to pound the ball early, get them to get out of dime, and to set up the throws that we want to make in the passing game. So that's the tension that I'm curious to see when the Buccaneers have the football. Do they try to force Kansas City out of dime with the run game? Does Kansas City take the bait? And then do we start seeing them starting to throw more out of 12? Or does Kansas City say, look, we're going to stay in dime, let you run the ball all you want. Running the ball might not give you enough points in this game to beat our offense. And so there are a couple of different tension points in this game that I'm going to be fascinated to track. And so that's what I'm watching for when the Buccaneers have the football up next. Predictions, which are sure to be wrong, everything from coin toss to MVP and everything in between. And that's ahead here in episode 172 of the Sco Show. 
Mark Schofield with you now on episode 172 of the Sco Show. And let's close it out with some predictions, predictions which are sure to be wrong. And I wrote these up along with Doug Farrar over at Touchdown Wire. You can check those out at touchdownwire.usatoday.com. I probably won't hit everything we dove into, but let's get to as much as we can, starting with the National Anthem. Now, uh, before I dive into this a little deeper, I do want to at least mention, if you're going to gamble, please do so legally and responsibly. And if you are going to gamble, probably don't do what I do, but I'm going to give you some plays that I would be making if I were so inclined. The over-under on the National Anthem this year is 1 minute 57 seconds. Now, what's interesting about the National Anthem this year is it is a duet between Eric Church, who I dig a lot, and Jasmine Simmons. Nobody has found, at least in the research that I've done, a clip of Eric Church singing the National Anthem. Jasmine Simmons, however, she sang it before an NHL game in 2016, and she clocked in, again, this was solo, at 138. The over-under here is 157. Now, I'm tending to hammer the over here. Why? A couple of reasons. One, it's a duet. Those tend to run longer. Two, it's the Super Bowl. Now, you might not get like a full five-minute national anthem, but I got a feeling this goes a bit longer. In case you're wondering, the last time a national anthem prior to the Super Bowl went over that 157, that was Super Bowl 51 when Luke Bryan, another country center, clocked in at 204. But with an over-under of 157, I'm going to take the over. Next, coin toss. Even odds, obviously. It's as 50-50 as you can get. Interestingly enough, Tails has won 29 times as opposed to the 25 times that Heads has won. Heads was the result in five straight games running from Super Bowl 43 through 48. That was followed by four straight Tails results from Super Bowl 49 through 51 or so. 48 through 51. I probably get those numbers wrong. But you had five straight heads, four straight tails, and we're in three straight tails, I mean two straight tails right now. Only before Super Bowl 52 did you get a head. So if it weren't for that heads prior to Super Bowl 52, we'd have we'd be in the midst of a seven-game tail streak. And I'm sure Patriots fans would like other things to be changed about Super Bowl 52 than the coin toss. Do with that what you will. Tails never fails in my mind. First team to score, interestingly enough, um, I'm going to the Buccaneers. Kansas City has started slow in so many games, um, whether it was last year's playoffs, even this year's playoffs. I think the the worry from Tampa Bay's perspective is, can you withstand the onslaught that comes? You know, you might score first, you might get out to a 10-0 lead, you might get out to a 13-0 lead, but they can put 28 points on you in a blink of an eye. And so I think Tampa Bay scores first. I'm not so sure that holds up. Who leads at halftime? Halftime leads don't always hold in the Super Bowl. Patriots had a 10-9 lead over the Giants in 46, but they would lose 21-17. The Colts had a lead over the Saints, but then the Saints had that onside kick to start the second half. Saints go on to win. Uh, New England had a 7-3 lead in Super Bowl 42, but they lost. Um, and then, of course, Atlanta had a 21-3 lead in Super Bowl 51 and lost. So halftime leads don't always do it. The Chiefs are favored, you know, by two and a half points in the first half. I think this is the critical test 
for the Buccaneers. If they can get that halftime lead, it tells me at least they've started to hold it if they get out to a lead, if they have it still by halftime. But I do think by halftime the Chiefs will have surged into the lead somewhat. Speaking of the halftime show, this is probably what I'm most excited about the weekend. A lot of speculation about what he's going to sing, how many songs he's going to sing. Will there be special guests? I found some odds on the first song he does. Starboy is the favorite, a plus 350, followed by Blinded Lights at plus 400. Can't Feel My Face at plus 425. In Your Eyes at plus 450. In the Night has the longest odds at plus 4,500. That might be my personal favorite song, but there is a reason why it has the longest odds. I'll just say that for those that are unfamiliar. You can hit the Google machine for those that are familiar. Yeah, you know. I think the tie-in with the Pepsi commercial makes it seem to me that Blinded Lights is the favorite here is the safe play here. Starboy makes some sense. I feel a coming also makes some sense, but that's a bit slow. I don't know if that's what you want to play to like start things off. Even though, the, you know, I feel a coming, that's kind of a nice way to sort of start things stylistically. Um, I think Blinded Lights is the way to go. I think that's what he leads off with. I'm a curious surprise guest. We've seen some incredible surprise guests during halftime shows. For example, Bruno Mars was the headline act for Super Bowl 48, but the Red Hot Chili Peppers, they popped in. Maroon 5 was the main act at 53, but Travis Scott, Big Boy, and the Georgia State University marching band all performed. Super Bowl 49, you had Katy Perry as the headline act, but... Missy Elliott, the Arizona State University marching band, and Lenny Kravitz all joined her Super Bowl 50. Technically, it was Coldplay. You had Mark Ronson, Bruno Mars, some marching bands. They all performed too, but look, everybody remembers Beyonce from that game. Um, so you're going to get perhaps a special guest or two. There are some odds on this as well. Bella Hadid, Ariana Grande, Doja Cat, Drake, and Kenny G, who did a remixed version of In Your Eyes, which is very good. Um, but my money here is Kendrick Lamar to do Pray For Me from the Black Panther soundtrack, perhaps with a tribute to Chadwick Boseman. That that seems like it's going to happen. Over, under on commercials that feature dogs. That is set at four and a half. And that seems to me like the easiest bet in terms of an over, in gambling history. We as a society have spent a year basically in our homes. And so you might get more than four and a half commercials on that theme from the pet's perspective alone. Oh, my humans are around today. Oh, my humans aren't leaving. I mean, one company might do five commercials from a dog's perspective about why aren't they leaving? I, over, under, commercials featuring dogs, 4.5, take the over. If it fails, then somebody's done something wrong because we need lots of puppies. That's all I'm saying. Enough with the happy stuff, enough with the silly stuff. Although, look, you can find prop bets on almost every, anything. It's incredible what you can find prop bets on, whether it's BetMGM or you know, my bookie, bet online, odd shark. You can find odds on all sorts of cool stuff. The game itself. As I alluded to earlier, my heart wants the Buccaneers to win 
because of the Tom Brady factor. But my head, my head, my head tells me that the Chiefs have more pathways to win this game. That the Chiefs have, you know, if you think about the four potential outcomes, right? Chiefs blowout win, Chiefs close win. Buccaneers close win, Buccaneers blowout win. If those are your generic four ways, I can see a Chiefs blowout. I can see a Chiefs close win. I can see a Buccaneers close win. I can't see a Buccaneers blowout. When you have more pathways to win, I feel much more confident that you're going to eventually win the game. And so I think the Chiefs win this one. Will I be sad if they do? No. I mean, I think either way, this is going to be a a good storyline. Mahomes gets his second, first back-to-back since Brady and the Patriots. You know, are they building the next dynasty? Who can topple them? I think there are great storylines from that. If Brady wins, he gets his seventh. That's a huge storyline. But you also get Bruce Arians getting a reign as a head coach. Um, Tampa Bay getting a reign. Tampa Bay getting a reign in their home stadium. You know, there will be great storylines no matter what. And so it should be a great game. should be a fun one. I think the Chiefs win. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. And you'll be here to listen to it when I am. That will do it for today. I will be back, like I said, sometime Monday with both the Super Bowl recap and the latest mock draft Monday. Send in some mocks if you want. Until then, friends, stay safe, enjoy the game, wash those hands, and when you do, sit along and bless those Patriots' reigns down in Foxborough.